out and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvellous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Amen. Thank you, Derek. It's a wonderful passage, isn't it? Very encouraging and so appropriate for our passage, uh, our talk today, When I Am in Need. Let's pray as we come to look at God's word today. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning and open the Bible and as it were, have you speak to us from your word In so many areas of our lives, we do see trouble. Please, Lord, for any who are grappling with issues today, may this word come alive in their lives, in their hearts, and for each one of us, Lord, speak to us according to our need, and help me, Lord, to preach faithfully this passage today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's nothing quite like times of trouble to get you praying certainly been my experience, I imagine it's yours as well, that your prayers do take on a somewhat more passionate and purposeful edge during times of trouble than at other times in our lives. We can become complacent in prayer, we become preoccupied in life, but in times of trouble, well, God has a way of focusing on back, us back on the things that truly matter. 
illness, unemployment, enemies, financial pressure, failed exams, marital problems, just to name a few. Well, these can bring upon us times of trouble that put us on the back foot. Suddenly we feel very vulnerable. Sometimes these things can even bring on a crisis, forcing you to admit your own need for help, just as we see in our psalm today. That opening verse, Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. So what is God's promise when I'm in need? That's our question for today. What providences can I pray for? Or what help can I receive? What is God's promise to me when I'm in need? Because if someone like King David can feel this way, then anyone can. But before we get too far, let's make sure we understand what true neediness is. Because let's face it, not everyone who claims to be needy is. I mean, there's a form of neediness that is actually sin. The kind of neediness that just sponges off the kindness of others. I mean, it may look like neediness, but in truth, it's laziness. Some people have never done a real day's work in their lives and don't intend to. They may be rich, they may be poor, and if they're poor... That's tragic, but are they really needy or do they have the means to resolve that need very easily by using their hands, by going out and working? If you won't work, you won't eat. That's what Paul said. Well, sometimes I use the word need myself when I don't really mean what I say. I say, I need a new pair of shoes, but... What I really mean is I'd like a new pair of shoes. I, to be honest, my old shoes are quite fine. I, I just happen to like the latest look of the shoes or the new colour or whatever it is, and it's not really a, a need either. Well, God doesn't promise to meet my greeds, only my needs. So this is his promise, according to Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. So there is a promise there, but it's connected to Christ Jesus. We see this also in our psalm today, although it's an Old Testament passage, Christ is in it. This is a promise for the humble poor, for those who set their hearts on knowing and following Jesus. It's not for the lazy or the proud. It's not for the greedy. It's for those who are in genuine need, in which case God's promise of mercy is rich and bountiful. Are you poor? So was Jesus. Are you hated? So was Jesus. Are you mocked? So was Jesus. Are you unfairly treated? So was Jesus. We have a God who understands our need because he's been there too and experienced it in this world, in this life, for us. 
And to those people who are in genuine need, God's promise stands secure. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. But now let's look at this psalm, this passage this morning. It's a psalm of David. It begins with a personal cry for help in verses 1 to 7. Then you have a reminder of God's faithfulness as the one to whom we really should run when we are in need. For God has a reputation for helping his people in verses 8 to 14. And then comes David's specific request in the final verses, effectively saying, Lord, this is what I need. And he spells it out in verses 15 to 17. But first we have David's cry for help in verses 1 to 7. This is my first point. Dear God, I need help and I need it now. That's my summary of David's plea. Here is a man in genuine need. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Well, this is a cry from the heart. It's a real SOS. Save me, oh my God. Save my soul. Look at the way that David appeals to God in these subsequent verses. Guard my life, verse 2. Have mercy on me, verse 3. Bring joy to your servant, Verse 4, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy. Verse 6, and in the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Verse 7. It's a real cascade of appeals to God, isn't it? Well, many years ago, I used to live in a house, uh, before I was married, I was a bachelor, there was three guys in a house, this house had a nice oil heater in it. If you can imagine, though, it was basically an iron tub shaped like a potbelly stove. And to start it, all you had to do was turn on the oil and let the, the oil run down the feeder tube for a few minutes and then take the, the lid off and throw in a piece of burning paper. The oil would ignite, whoosh, and off it would go and the whole house would warm up very effectively. Then one night I got distracted and half an hour later when I finally came back to check it again there was like a good six inches of oil sitting in the bottom of the tank. Now thinking as a young 23 year old male what do you think would be the best way to get rid of six inches of oil in the bottom of a tank? Yes, that's right, strike a match. And within minutes, that fire was totally out of control. I even found a picture of a similar thing, glowing red. That's what this thing was doing next to the wall that it that was aligned on, glowing red with the heat. It was clear to me that the whole house was in danger of burning down. And boy, oh boy, did I get, I got to prayer right there. Dear God, help me now. Help me, answer me, guard my life, have mercy on me, bring joy to your servant, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy. Dear God, help me now. I was scared. Because when you're in danger, your adrenaline kicks in and survival becomes the number one priority. I was very afraid of what might happen when I ran to the phone and dialed triple zero. Thankfully, as I was on the phone speaking to the operator, the oil began to burn itself out and the fire stopped as quickly as it had begun. And I felt so thankful to God that he had answered my prayer 
in that moment. And in essence, that's the experience of being in genuine need, isn't it? I mean, it can come upon you suddenly, perhaps sometimes it can creep up on you, but you reach that moment of crisis, and we see that in Psalm 86. And Psalm 86 is, if you like, the ancient equivalent of that triple zero call, complete with all the raw-edged pleas for help and assistance. Except for one thing I notice about King David's plea here is that he never panics. He doesn't panic. He may be in need, but when he prays to God, he doesn't panic. I find that striking. Just look at verse 2 again, for example. Guard my life. For I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. David's faith in God makes a difference to how he responds to the need that he's in. David never panics, although his problems are very serious. In fact, his life is in genuine danger he was going to go on and tell us down in verse 14 that he's faced by this band of arrogant, ruthless men who are seeking his life. So people are out there trying to kill him and that's something I hope none of us here ever have to face. But David doesn't panic because David knows that God will answer him in his time of need. God is in control. And so David affirms this in verse 7, do you see? In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, for you will answer me. Well, that's faith, isn't it? In the day of my trouble, I will call to you, and you will answer me. You see, God has a reputation for helping his people. And this is my second point for today. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's true. God has a reputation for helping his people. And this is what shapes David's response to the situation when he's in need. Come down to verse 8. Verse 8, among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. Our God is unique. Our God is special. This is the kind of God our God is. A God who helps the humble poor. A God who is moved by the cries of the needy. Our God is a compassionate God. And we see that in examples scattered throughout the Bible, just to give you a few. For example, in the Old Testament, you can see it in God's willingness to heal a Gentile called Naaman of his leprosy. You see it in, again in, in the days of Elisha. Uh, there's a widow who's uh, left with nothing to eat and there's a miracle of oil that allows her to supply the needs of her and her son. Or you could consider God's concern for the people of Nineveh during the days of Jonah. Striking examples of God's care for those who are in need. What about Jesus' response comes into the New Testament to that widow who lost her only son? He was a woman in desperate need. No husband, no son, no family, no future. And when Jesus saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. And then he went up and touched the coffin and said, young man, I say to you, get up. Immediately the dead man sat up and began talking and Jesus gave him back to his mother. 
These are just a couple of examples that reveal the heart and character of our God, who is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So David is right when he acknowledges that among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. But is God merely a divine do-gooder? No, he does help, but his help also points him ultimately back to God, back to the, the cross and to Christ. The help of the Lord is purposeful help. His design is to humble us in our sin, to motivate us in our need, so that we might respond to him as our king through repentance and faith. It's an invitation to draw nearer to him in our need. And when God allows us to suffer, remember he's also testing our faith. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, said Jesus. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But are we willing to be honest about this? God's greater plan to save the lost is now revealed in what David has to say next in verses 9 and 10. This is giving us a picture of the God who, to whom we need to run when we are in need. What kind of God is this? How powerful is he? Can he really meet my need? Well, David says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. There is something unique about the manner or the way in which God helps those who are in need that marks him out as the one and true living God. I guess we see it ultimately in the cross, don't we? What is God not willing to give to meet our need? He's even prepared to lay down the life of his son Jesus to rescue. What is there that God is not prepared to do to meet our need? It sets him apart. There's no other God like him. In fact, David says, you alone are God. And he reflects on this in an hour of need in his own life. And at the same time, really, if you think about what he's saying here, it's a word of prophecy that's pointing us forward to a day when the nations will acknowledge their need. It's talking to us who are here today and the Gentiles receive salvation. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord, evidently having had our need met. And so this is a promise that points us forward to a day when people like us will come to God, have our needs met, enter into that new covenant relationship with our creator through faith in Jesus Christ who meets our need. So here is David, he's in the midst of a particular crisis in his own life and he's praying for God's help in an hour of his own need. And you've got to admit it's a very Christ-like attitude. Basically, it's in God's nature to help the humble poor. It's in God's nature to help the needy, both Jew and Gentile. And David can see the ramifications of that from his own situation. So what does David do next in verse 11? 
Well, he begins to turn his experience of need into an opportunity to grow, to grow in faith and love for the Lord. David's circumstances haven't actually changed, not yet, but his outlook has, and his confidence begins to grow. Truth is, he doesn't know whether he'll live or die, whether exactly the outworkings of these enemies that he has, but he knows that whether he lives or dies, he'll live each day to the glory of his king. And even if he dies, he knows he will yet live. So verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. He's casting himself into the hands of a loving God and trusting in God for deliverance. And this attitude is the secret to, God, to David's strength, to David's strength in his time of need. Today, I've been speaking a lot lately about Christian fortitude and that ability to withstand the fears and anxieties of this world. It comes from having a sure and confident relationship with our God, which we see in David's life here. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name, O Lord. Let me not be panicked by the uncertainties of this life. Let me live each day to your glory whether they are many or few. And then my hope in troubled times will not waver. Verse 12, I will praise you, O my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. So sure is David at this point of God's salvation, of God's deliverance in his life, in the big picture, that he is able to speak of it as a done deal. Did you notice that? You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. Well, he hasn't died yet. But he sees the deliverance of God as something that's stronger than death. This is how you pray a prayer of hope. This is how you deal with the challenges and the needs in life. The next time you're in real need, think about what it means to pray in hope, knowing that God cares for you. Reminds me of that great passage of Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul says this, remember? I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am Convinced? Are you convinced? Are you still convinced? Well, that's Christian fortitude. That's Christian hope. In the same way, King David is convinced. And so he puts his trust in the Lord, knowing that nothing in all creation can separate him from the love of God. 
Well, it's taken him three quarters of the psalm to get here, but at last David is finally ready to reveal the actual cause of his troubles in verse 14. He has not cursed them. He has not uh, tried to take revenge, but he speaks to God very honestly about the circumstances that he faces. Verse 14, The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, men without regard for you. I guess there will always be such people in the world, bullies who pay no attention or regard to God and who take pleasure really in oppressing others, the weak, the vulnerable, the needy. There are some people who delight in power. So it could be a political leader, it could be a boss, it could be a family member, it could even be someone at church. God help you, it could even be you perhaps struggling with things in your life that make you respond in ungodly ways. Well, one of the duties of the Christian life is to examine our own lives closely. And Psalm 86 does give us that opportunity. So as we are in need, we could also be asking ourselves, how am I treating others? Am I abusing my power? Am I dishonouring God? Am I being generous to others? And when that day comes when I need to meet my maker, give an account of my life, on that day when all the secrets of our hearts are revealed, what will my life reveal of me? If I want God to help me in my times of trouble, shouldn't I also ask, am I willing to help my neighbour? Because seriously, if I won't help my neighbour, if I won't help my friend, if I won't, Jesus would challenge, help my enemy. For who is my neighbour? But if I won't help, then why should God help me? So I can understand why David does take his time to spell out his actual needs and requirements as we come to this final section of the psalm in verse 15 to 17, it's only really after examining his own heart, testing his own motives before, before God, that he finally says, Lord, now this is what I need. This is what you must supply for me. This is what I need. Having turned his eyes to God and spelt out what his problem is, he now asks God for some very specific help. So I'm looking at verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you know where that comes from? Comes from Exodus 34. Comes from a time in Israel's history when they just committed some very heinous sins and Moses wants to see God and God says, I'll tell you my name. I'll let my glory pass in front of you and I'll tell you my name. So David knows the name of God, the Lord, the Lord. Oh Lord, you are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And now he asks, turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame for you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. 
I noticed three things in particular David asks for in these verses. They jumped out at me because they all start with S. And you know how preachers love things that all start with the same letter. But uh, David asks first for strength, second for salvation, save me. And third, he asks for a sign, strength to withstand his enemies, salvation from their evil works, and a sign of God's goodness that will actually put his enemies to shame. In times of trouble, we need strength to persevere, don't we? We need strength to carry on, strength to face a new day, strength just to get out of bed, do whatever we need to do. We need strength. David asks for God's strength. Grant your strength to your servant, he says. Then too, we need salvation. We need Clearly, we need salvation from our sins and ourselves, but we often need God's help in time of trouble. Our greatest need is the salvation of our souls, but we also need food for our bodies. We need supply for the basic necessities of life, which we pray for every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? There's nothing wrong in asking God to supply those lesser needs and perhaps deliverance from things that are evil or liable to destroy us, like persecution and hunger and disease. Jesus taught us to pray about such things. We need strength. We need salvation. Sometimes we may also need a sign. But notice David's request here is not for himself but for his enemies. It's not to reassure him that God is going to answer his prayers. No, it's actually... Something to bring judgment on those who reject God and reject him, that is, King David. So David wants a sign of God's goodness that his enemies can see and that in seeing it, they might be put to shame. It's a prayer for vindication and a prayer for justice, which are things we don't always get in this life. But in asking God to reveal his arm in this way, comes a chance actually to open new hearts to God. As God vindicates his people and delivers them, it gives us a testimony to share of God's kindness and mercy to us. To be honest too, sometimes I've prayed a prayed prayer like this uh, when there are people who are particularly wicked or troublesome. A um, specific case I can remember of a person who was uh, causing great problems to a next-door neighbour. The prayer was basically, Lord, either change this person's heart or remove them. 24 hours later, the person, the neighbour, rang me and said, what did you just pray? Because the person's dead. He died that night. It's very shocking, but that's an, I can see Claire nodding uh, furiously. There are times when we should pray a prayer like that. It's very... Uh, in, Start set you back and say, wow, this is the Lord with whom we must all deal. God does answer prayers, sometimes powerfully and suddenly, when we ask him. That seems to have been David's experience too, as he ends the psalm with these words, for you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And in the end, isn't that what we all ask of God? that he might supply his help and his comfort and his care in our time of need. So friends, in closing today, let me say, I actually don't think there's any 
easy answers on how, as Christians, we ought to personally respond to times of need. That is to say, there's no simple formulas because every case has its own unique circumstances. I mean, a case of domestic violence is very different, for example, from a, a case of financial hardship or a, a person who has chronic illness has a very different situation to someone who's unemployed. But whatever the case that you face, whatever your need, the truth is God knows what your need is. God knows your need. He knows perfectly well because he's God. And so I want to come back to that wonderful passage from Philippians chapter 4, this this verse which I've singled out, God's promise to his people in time of need. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. In Christ Jesus. That's the promise. Now, this was David's faith too. We've seen it in the psalm today. He believed in a God who answers prayer. You can see his confidence in God's goodness. You can see his consistency of faith in his prayer and his willingness to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Even though his life was in danger, David entrusted himself to the living God and in so doing, he sets an example for each of us to follow, a kind of blueprint that's useful in any and every circumstance of genuine need. And now this is what I want to encourage you to do this morning if you are in times of trouble in your own life right now. Number one, believe the good news of the gospel and receive Jesus as your King and Saviour because this will meet your greatest need, that is your need for God's forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Believe in the good news of the gospel. Secondly, remind yourself of God's character just as David does. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is a good inclusion in any prayer to remind yourself and indeed to speak back to God that which is revealed of his own character. And this will help you to get that attitude right in your own heart when you approach God and when you deal with the circumstances of your own life and troubles. Remind yourself of God's character in your time of need. And thirdly, I urge you to repent of any sin that you become convicted of. As you consider your need and the circumstance you're in, be mindful and confess whatever sins of omission or commission that are are part of your life, whether it's greed or laziness or self-justification or just doubting God's goodness. Again, this prepares your heart to come humbly before your God in a right attitude of reverent and godly fear. Believe the good news. Remind yourself of God's character. Repent of any sins that you're convicted of and then lay hold of God's promise. Take hold of it with both hands. Don't let go. Claim it confidently in Jesus' name. Father, in your word, you promised to meet all my needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Well, I need you now. Please send someone who can help me direct my steps in the paths you would have me take. Show me the door that I need to open. Help me to know what I need to do. And as you lay hold of God's promise and wait for him to answer, then 
do take action yourself wherever you can. I mean, speak to others who can help. One of the, the beautiful things about being part of a church is that you have a whole family of brothers and sisters in Christ who will be ready to stand with you in your need. Speak to someone. Ask for prayer. Ask for counsel. Talk to me or Yin or Derek or, or a trusted friend. And then the particular actions that you need to take may depend on your own individual circumstances. Maybe it means changing your job, I don't know. Seeing a counsellor. Perhaps God is laying it on your heart in your need to be generous to others. Or to pray for the deliverance of persecuted Christians who are in need elsewhere in the world. That'll be up to your relationship with God. Very personal in particular. But finally, I urge you to be encouraged for the Lord is a loving Father and he knows what you need before you ask him. He knows what you need before you ask him. And this then is how you should pray. And we might like to pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. And now we're going to sing our response song. So.